wow, she yeah. is so good. She's, She's so, I mean, cool. I knew she was going to be knowledgeable, but she came, she came with the heat. Yeah. We, I, we, we learned real, I like, I definitely felt more like a student again. I don't know how else to explain it. Like she has that presence of like, that does make you feel like you're in a classroom being taught, but like dance yes. brings it. And like, yeah, it was so pleasant to like, also see that side of her writing Buffy fanfic and like, it was glorious. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. She's like, she's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. She gets so many great things to say. My goodness. Yeah. This is going to be a great episode for our listeners because like I, 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 that last quote and what she had to say right after, I was just like, mm. damn. Yeah. I love good. that quote. I like, I had to stop, pull it together because that quote, when you have had a quote in your life that meant something to you as well, and then someone you respect is suddenly reading it to you on your podcast, it felt like this weird full circle synchro destiny moment. I was like, what the fuck is that? I'm tearing up just thinking about it. <laughs> you know, um, how, it was amazing. You know how these things move my fragile soul. <laughs> I know. I know, but um, yeah. Welcome to the show. Yeah. I can intro us today since our guest is Australian. So, oh, uh, okay, fine, fine. So he heard my voice and he came running because I'm his Australian boo. Look at his little tail; it's precious. <laughs> his little, yeah, he got a haircut. He's mad about it. But his tail's really short. Like Goose has a really short one as well. But um, yeah, I didn't know Schnauzers had a. Little... Yep. Sorry. Um. Yes, welcome to the, the show. ADHD, your ADHD <laughs> brain just kicked in. You're going to notice now that I've told you, you're going to notice so much. And that's the weird thing. Like everything I pass through this filter now, I can't believe I didn't realize before, you know? It makes, it all makes sense. <laughs> like half my family is ADHD. So I'm like, mm, makes sense that we get along. <laughs> right. But let me, before I get super distracted again... <laughs> Welcome, darling listeners, to another episode of of The Publishing Persuasion. I am here with the radiant, the magical pirate queen author of Sinner's Isle coming out this year. This year, friends. That's right. You heard it here. Leonardo DiCaprio himself was seen sacrificing his life to allow this book to survive beyond his time. It's true. <laughs> and it was it was a sacrifice well made. And of course I'm talking about the Angela Montoya. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's me. It's me folks. Surprise surprise. <laughs> we have switched roles. Melanie's introing and she is doing a fabulous job. Um don't take my job though, Melanie. But you did a great job <laughs> intro me, introing me. I appreciate it so much. Um, hi, Melanie. <laughs> now you don't know where to go because you're used to introing. You're like, what do I ask? Yeah. What do I say? You do a great job of like taking it and being like, and how are you, Mel? You know, or moving on to the subject of <laughs> well, whatever we're doing. Um, so thank you for stumping me. Um, how are you, Melanie? Yes, I'm good. I feel very like uh, fizzy, bright energy after our lovely interview we just had 
with literary agent queen, Australian literary agent queen, because we're getting some Aussie rep on the show, the Danielle Binks. So it was just so great having her on and honestly like, yeah, it made me proud to bring some Aussie rep and have like proper pub persuasion energy come along. Yes, bring on all the Aussies. I mean, every Aussie we've had on the show has been absolutely fantastic. So we need more and more. Yeah. We need Aussie rep. Um, but yeah, I mean, Danielle came with the heat. She took us, she took us to school. She took us to church. Yeah. She took <laughs> us there and she took us everywhere. And You're by the end of the she did. By the end of the podcast or uh, the episode, I was just watching Melanie's face, just watching her react to all the amazing things Daniel had to say and uh, watching the tears well uh, yep. behind the glasses. You, I, yeah, I know you were feeling it. So I cannot wait for our listeners to hear this episode um, because, uh, you know, Aussies are going to win this one. I'll give it to you guys this round. It's true. Okay, it's- I'll I'll give it to you. This even one time. You have all the deadly creatures. I haven't even told you about the stonefish yet, but I might save that. For I'm good. Time. I'm good. I am good, Melanie. Whatever you, whatever creature you have to tell me about, I am good. I have had enough of us. Aust- okay. Australia, Australia losing. <laughs> I give you a rest. The blue ring octopus was particularly frightening. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it's the size that just the just really gets me and so. the way the blue rings light up when it's mad and like I swore um Melanie a- Melanie <laughs> enough <laughs> you're, going, you're trying to go I back tell you, I have to tell you that that um video that I put together this is how much it gave me joy to like sort of torment you a little I actually spent like an hour cutting like a National Geographic video to make it into a one minute story <laughs> so I could Did you really? Yeah, it was uh, it wasn't like a huge it was like a 2 minute doco but I was like <laughs> I need the best parts to traumatize you properly. <laughs> like did you know it had a beak? You're good. Did you know it had a beak? <laughs> I think that's probably the worst part. A beak does not belong yeah. on an octopusy. They're on all octopuses. Did you know? Well, that? that's just wrong. Yes. A beak, a beak on a pussy. That's wrong. You know where all the legs end, where the little hole is, that's where the beak is. Wait a minute. Yeah. The beak is un like so this under... is the octopus and the beak is up up in the in there. Oh god. Why? <laughs> oh, that's what it What's, does. It like encapsulates its prey, right? And then its beak is to break open the crabs' shells. Otherwise, how could they eat crabs? They eat crabs. Yeah, they eat crabs. Like just Melanie, they bite a hole through them and then suck out their gizzards. <laughs> I just fainted. Yeah, this is just okay. octopi. Anyway. I won't traumatize um, you more. I wanted to say, unrelated, I have yeah, to sure. notice, like, like, I just have to make sure it's okay to still be in the presence of the celebrity <laughs> with a blue tick next to their name. No. Okay. Let me explain. Let me explain 
Yes, I'm verified <laughs> on Instagram, but it is not as cool and glamorous. It's not that glamorous. It it's like a glamorous pain. when you like my post. Thank you. I'm like the Angela Montoya liked my post. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. So it is not that. So I saw it on my thing. It popped up like on my, you know, like on your, um, you know, when Instagram like does like updates or whatever on top yeah. of the app or I don't know what it was. But anyways, it said, oh, you can get verified. So I said, oh, okay. And so I, I was looking into it and it was like, you know, get verified so you can have, so basically, so you won't get ever like kicked out of your account or you have protection because, you know, people so often want to impersonate you or, or whatever it is, you know? And so I was like, oh, okay, sure. All you have to do is like, you know, prove it's you, it's you. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's $15. Huh. And I was like, oh, okay, well, 15 bucks is fine. And then I realized it's 15 bucks a month. I was to be verified. It was a couple hundred yeah. dollars to get verified. So they've made it month. Oh, by so. Because I, I oh, heard. So that, that was, was a thing already? Yeah. I heard it cost. Oh, okay. Well, then I don't feel as bad. <laughs> no. And you shouldn't, to be honest, I'm giving you shit, but I brought it up to celebrate it. I thought it was like a milestone. Oh. Now you're like verified oh. account. I'm a verified account, but I don't know if it's like that big of a deal. Let's but... make it a big deal. I like it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm verified, everyone. Um, But I canceled it. But maybe I'll uncancel oh, it. Cancel. Don't okay, cancel I won't. It because that reason alone, that's what I, I was thinking of doing it for that reason alone. Because I do get anxious about people get their accounts hacked and stuff. Yes. That reason alone is enough to pay the $15 because I just... Oh, it'd be it'd be so frustrating to start from scratch. My password it would. is it'd be devastating. My password is a whole sentence now. To like, what is it? Tell us. Tell us all. We can't do that. <laughs> it's it's find your own beeswax two four nine. Bees, lots of bees in that. I'm sure. <laughs> is that not a saying there? Beeswax, sure. Like from the fifties. No, it's a saying. Mind your own beeswax. We say that here. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah. That's that's something probably they would say like in like I said, like in the nineteen fifties or something. Listen to her go. <laughs> I get verified and now here I am. You know, you just, just can't <laughs> You just can't control me now. I am arrogant now. <laughs> just anyway. depends on the day. I, yeah, I, I digress. digress. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm pretty good. Uh, I worked on my book a little today. Did you? Uh, my new book. And I'm at like 23, 23K or 24K. Oh, damn. Mm -hmm. Okay, that escalated. Where are you at, Melanie? I'm I'm still back at 16. <laughs> Somebody's been keeping me busy with podcast episodes so they can go ahead and cheat <laughs> like a dirty little cheater. And then the curse of Frangela yesterday, I'm sure you oh, saw the curse yeah. too, because the dogs I was looking after on my days, I had just finished loading the podcast everywhere. I kid you not. And I was like, you know what? The dogs are quiet. I took them on a walk already. And I'm sitting there, pulled the laptop onto my lap. And I was like, I smell shit. I smell no. shit. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> you're just imagining it. And I looked in the mirror, the bedroom mirror. And I oh. saw things 
little nugget shaped things. Yeah. And lo and behold, the little doggy that I was watching had shat herself all over my bedroom floor. Oh no. And she was sick and then she vomited all over the house. Mind you, I had just hand deodorized my carpet the day before for the first time <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I couldn't believe the calm. I don't know what that's saying. The universe is like, just be messy or something. I don't know. I don't know. But so I spent all afternoon cleaning that instead of writing. So, but once I actually sit down and channel this mind mess, you better watch yourself. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Fran, you better put Frangela away because I will. I- I'll turn her around. She's- oh I don't know that might that might make it worse if you turn her around I don't know I'm feeling a little (laughs) I might enrage her spirit (laughs) how are you feeling about the words you're getting dead (laughs) that was too real (laughs) I'm gonna haunt your nightmares Uh, (laughs) I feel good about what I'm writing though I like I'm almost to like a hundred, hundred word or a hundred pages. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to be cute. I have to like, kind of really like stick where, what the theme is and like mm. some things, but I'm just going to keep going. And I find that like new things are popping up and it's been really fun. So we're discovery writing. Yes. I love, yeah, I'm trying to remember that the whole time. And I actually, even though I haven't written more words, I actually read what I have to my husband. And I, you know, like sometimes you read something and you're like, "Eh," like it probably still needs work. But when I read it, I felt excited to get. So I've read everything the last couple of days up to where I am. Now, I really need that to be in the mindset of what I'm going to write next. I've realized that's crucial to my process. If I haven't yeah. just been immersed in the world I'm writing, I I just lose too many threads. My brain can't keep up with it all. And, and the other thing I found really helpful is, I don't know if you saw that, I put that in my stories the other day, uh, an editing chick I follow, she posted like to avoid the soggy midsection, give your... Uh, main characters two trials or two mm. two missions to do in that period and at first I was like again like oh I don't know why I always resist the planning part of it yeah but I was like no I don't want to make it too formulaic I just want to go with the flow but I was like yeah but what is the flow what happens after this part so I actually went yes. in the park the other day and I kind of wrote out loosely what was going to happen next and yeah it brought about all these threads I had not even thought was going to come so I'm really excited about even though I haven't gotten words on the page but this kind of like sitting around pondering rereading what I had was really productive so you better watch yourself next week because I am like I'm at the gate the gate is open my horses have been fed and watered and they're ready to fly oh well (laughs) I guess you have pegasuses then because (laughs) whatever fine sure (laughs) so just keep what I'm saying is don't you slow down just keep you try don't slow down for me I'll catch you (laughs) and trust me I won't I won't slow down yeah no I'm excited to beat you again so we'll just keep on going and 
All right, I'll have to find the most weirdest prize to send you if you win again. I'll send you the most weirdest shit I can find. So I, I don't know if you could top what you've already sent me, um, but. <laughs> oh, I can. But what were you going to say? It. No, I was going to say my friend, um, well, she goes by a novice novelist on Instagram, oh, yeah. but she's my, she's my one friend in real life. My yep. real life friend. Um, and she's a writer too, but she sent me our, uh, like sent me a little thing and she was like, you and Melanie should should try this on the show and I send it to you, but I want to hear it. Okay. So here's what it, it says. It says saw somewhere. If you say rise up lights out loud, it sounds like razor blades in an Australian accent. So what I want you to do, Melanie is say razor blades, razor blades. And if I say rise up lights, see, it sounds like razor blades. Rise up lights. Rise up lights. Do I sound Australian? You do sound Australian. Rise up lights. Say it again. Rise up lights. Rise up lights. Oh, what a true blue bogan just came out in you then. Rise up lights. I'm a pro- I'm a proper I'm a proper bogan that no, I can't. Rise I can rise only do the ones. Rise up lights. Rise. So anyway, that's how I that's my one Australian phrase I can say now (laughs) it's gonna get you places that one phrase (laughs) I'm just gonna when I go to Australia I'm just gonna go rise obliged mate (laughs) that's all I got but you never know I might be rubbing off on you 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 may be well yeah I mean even Ines she uh quoted or she on Twitter mentioned having a yarn and so I know Ines is from the States. And so, see, you're rubbing off. That makes me more happy than you know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know You're rubbing off on us. (laughs) Well, you know, Australia is a pretty cool country. (laughs) It is. I told you I I just watched that uh, Netflix show. I want to say it was called, oh, oh, crap. Well Mania well wellness mania yes. i was gonna wellness. ask you which one it was because i went to go look last night i could not remember well mania yeah i think it was yeah i think it's well mania and it was hilarious really um yes it's so funny and and heartfelt and like all the things so it was it was great um but i was like i know what they're saying yeah. <laughs> even though it's it's english You've been it's english but i i got it You've yeah. been trained from two years of the podcast with and with me just throwing words at you that I assumed you would know. Yes, yes. And then like I'll even I even recognize certain places from um from Reese's page, uh Herb Nerd. Um <clears throat> because and I think even Tobias, sorry, I had some phlegm in my throat. <laughs> I didn't <What>? <laughs> Herb, Herb, Herb nerd race. <laughs> I was, I'm sorry, listen. Our listeners have no fucking clue what you're on about. You have to say that that's his Instagram tag. For that it's- I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> listeners, I apologize. There's, there's an Australian author and his Instagram account is Herb nerd race. Right, Melanie? 
Correct. And, and on accident, for some reason, I thought his name was Herb. <laughs> In fact, I think you thought his name was Herb Nerd. <laughs> oh, that's just an Australian thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you convinced me that it was Herb Nerd. <laughs> so, but we'll have to have Herb Nerd on the show one day because he also has got books. Actually, I've got his book up there, Girl Called Corpse. Oh. Yes, and it looks amazing. But anyways, he posts, and I think Tob- I've seen it on Tobias's page too, but it's like a pool on the ocean. Yeah, I've been there. I've, I used to okay, live there. Okay, okay. So they show that on the show. Uh... They show it on the show. And I was like, I know that place. I'm Australian. Wow. Um. Yeah, anyway. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to trim that part. (laughs) I don't even know. We've been talking for like 40 minutes and I have no clue what the shit we just talked about. Nothing good. Absolutely nothing good. Ah, No, it's because we had Danielle for like 10 minutes at the start of this, of course. Okay. Okay. Yes. We should probably read bio. Yes. Please. <laughs> I'm dying. Oh, this is too funny. But I do love that journey yeah. for you recognizing iconic Australian places through Netflix. Hey, I feel like I, I almost called the show and I was like, watch out for the blue friggin' ringed octopuses. <laughs> I saw a TikTok when I was Googling it to send you those trauma reels. Um, <clears throat> it was like with the dumb ways to die or Oh, God. It was like a tourist had just picked one up and she was recording for a TikTok. And it's like, dude, you do realize, like, a bite from a blue ring has enough venom to kill 26 adults. They're really toxic. It's one of, when I was Googling it, because remember I was saying stuff last time and I wasn't even sure if I was right, but I, like, my memory was actually good on this. Like, it is one of the most deadly animals in the world. Like, it can really destroy you. (laughs) (laughs) why what is the point of this animal mammal whatever the hell it is whatever it's called just exists i don't know what's the point of any mammal (laughs) it's not even a mammal it's a cephalopod (laughs) what the whatever the fuck it is melanie nobody cares it doesn't doesn't deserve to be here (laughs) you can read the bio now because i can't have a Yes, I will. Let me get through this. All right, let's introduce our amazing Daniel Binks. Um, oh, oh gosh. Okay, <laughs> let me try to say this word. Okay, Daniel Binks is a Melbourne, Melbourne-based writer. <laughs> After all this time, you can do it. You can do it. Was it, it. Mel- Mel- Melbourne? Melbourne. 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 Okay. Daniel Binks is a Melbourne-based writer and literary agent with Jacinta D. Mass. Okay, I'll read it. <laughs> it was torture because I actually know all these words. So it was so mean of me to give it to you. Fine, Just go for it. Me. <clears throat> Just as I thought I could say all the Australian can. things. Go, go, finish now. No, rise of lights. That's it. <laughs> Your turn. Go ahead, Melanie. Uh, no, now I feel guilty. I love it. <laughs> no, no, trust me. Trust me. It's fine. 
Danielle Binks is a Melbourne-based writer and literary agent with Jacinta DeMace Management. <laughs> In t- Sorry, I'm laughing. Now, la- <laughs> when I cut it later and we're just randomly cackling through the bio, it's so bad. <laughs> um, with Jacinta DeMace Management. In 2017, she edited and contributed to Begin and Begin. Actually, I've got that one. Yeah. Stay focused, Melanie. Stay oh, focused. Thank you. Um, she edited and contributed to Begin and Begin, an anthology of new Australian young adult writing inspired by the hashtag love Oz YA movement, which won the ABIA book of the year for older children, ages 13 plus. The year the maps changed, Danielle's best-selling middle grade novel was a 2021 Children's Book Council of Australia, CBCA notable book and released in North America in 2022 with Harper Collins, her first solo YA, The Monster of Her Age, released in 2021 and won in the young adult category of the 2022 Indie Book Awards. Danielle is also teaching fiction and young adult writing in the Associate Degree of Professional Writing and Editing at RMIT University. And you can tell she is a teacher because she took us to school this yeah. episode. So let's get her on. Straya. Straya, mate. Straya, mate. Oh, she's great. Yeah. She could teach us anything. So yeah, very cool. Good work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you have her book like knowing it was her book or that book or what is it it's an anthology yeah actually cool. I've got it signed this is was this the first time I met her I can't remember now this is kind of embarrassing but this is many years ago now pre-covid and I was like rewriting my book as YA and so she had come up on my radar and I just was like she was YA to me, Danielle. Like, yeah, it was just yeah. like in Australia, she is the YA mama. And so I was like going to all her events and stuff. And I was like, I think after I heard her speak at this event, I like went and found, <laughs> I was walking through them. There's like markets as well. And I was walking through the markets and I saw her and I was like, so, you know, that early writer sweaty, embarrassed. I was like, I've got to get yes. it sign my book and so like I'm I just like went through the crowd of the market (laughs) (laughs) I was so hot and sweaty and embarrassed but for some reason I just felt like I had to have her sign it because I just heard her speak so yeah there you go young early writer it's like maybe six years ago maybe more now ages ago crazy right fun fact but she actually uh my pitch wars book she actually gave me early feedback on it she was one of the edits that like changed the whole book. So yeah, blast from the past as well. Hello. Hello, Danielle. How are you? I'm good. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to see you. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. It's always fun to get uh, Aussies on the show because we have so many like American authors and, and agents that come on. So mm-hmm. anytime... Uh, Melanie like sees somebody that she's kind of excited about I'm like yes please like let's find a way to get them on so yeah more than happy to yeah thank you it's also interesting to see the compare and contrast right with the two industries so hopefully we can yeah do that I I know a little bit about what's happening in America because I was there recently so yeah I'm more than happy to be here thank you for inviting me yes now I'm even more excited (laughs) to talk about it (laughs) No, I told you, Angela, this one has the info. She has a lot of good information to share. So 
Do you want to just start for our non-Australian listeners? Because I feel like if you're Australian, you know the Danielle Binks, especially if you're in the YA area. But for our American listeners, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I am a literary agent with a small boutique agency over here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, called Jacinta de Marse Management. Uh, I've been a literary agent since 2016. Uh, I started out looking specifically for middle grade and young adult literature, but now I represent everything. Uh, and, you, you know, everything, everything. I represent illustrators who do picture books. I represent quite a few graphic novelists. Because uh, when I started out, I kind of said to Jacinta, who owns the agency, I was like, in 2016, I said, I think the Australian market is primed to acquire some graphic novels because I love reading them and I know we have real talent over here. So TBD, it'll take a while, but it's going to happen. And and now it started happening. I've sold three, four graphic novels wow. for Australians. So it's slowly happening. Uh, so I, I do that as the, the literary agent. I'm also an author of middle grade and YA literature in, in Australia, but I have sold my middle grade novel over in America to HarperCollins Quiltree Books over there, the year the map changed. And I also teach creative writing at a university here in Melbourne, RMIT University. So I technically have three hats that I wear and swap them out at various times. Three that, very big hats. That yeah. is a lot. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot, uh, but it's all within the book publishing playground. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm sticking to being a book nerd, pretty hardcore. It is my personality and my profession, and I'm okay with that. I feel yeah. I feel secure in that in that knowledge. <laughs> yeah, D- is does it feel like a lot juggling them all, or do you kind of thrive in the chaos? Or it might not be chaos. Some people are just very organized with that stuff. oh no it was it was a juggling act when I was first um getting used to wearing the author hat in particular that I I had to really set aside like a month to do my edits and to get a manuscript finished and I had to not be an agent for for a little while so Jacinta took over at that time and Jacinta is my agent as well she represents me and does my contract work for me so that was a good just taking that hat off and handing it to Jacinta and saying, I just need to be an author for like a month to get the edits and deadline out of my system. So that wasn't a juggle initially, but I'm, I'm getting much better at time management with that now. And I'm getting better at saying when I just need a month to sit and write or sit and read as is also the case. Sometimes I need to prioritize being an agent more and, and particularly, you know, it always happens at different times. You can't quite juggle because you're representing people who are at various stages in their careers so you have some authors who are on to third, fourth, fifth books, and you have some authors who are at the very start of their career as debuts, and they all need different things from you at different times. So you just have to kind of go with the flow a little bit. And I think that has what has blessed me with being a better juggler is knowing that you can't be regimented because you're dealing with creativity and creatives. And sometimes people are going to need more from you on the creative space, and sometimes they're going to shut the door in your face and say, nope, just leave me alone for six months. I don't want to see you until I've got a finished draft. But, you know, you've got to kind of respond and be flexible and and malleable to however people are creating, which is what I try to do. That is fascinating. Now, do you find like in those quieter times on the agent side, is that when you really dive into your own writing and and get that going? Or are you Um, always writing? I, I, I tend to always be writing, but I also tend to, um, I tend to look for a block of time 
about a month when I do every rotten writing practice there is. I break my back. (laughs) I write until 4 a.m. I have terrible sleep habits and eating habits. Uh, I, I pretty much lock myself away and do everything that I would advise an author for author care purposes not to do. I would say this is really unhealthy, but I don't take my own advice. I go off and do all the worst things. Uh, and I don't show anyone. I don't share my my writing. I, I'm very like, you know, secret squirrel time. So I do everything that's wrong probably with a creative process. And then I'm the one that turns around to my authors and says, don't do that. That's unhealthy. Uh, <laughs> I love that you shared that though, because I think it's just like real and relatable, like realistically, yeah. like, there are those moments. And like, I mean, shout out to my therapist, Priya, but like, She always says that it's like, you know, it's not even when you've made progress in these areas, even when you are doing self-care stuff, like Mm -hmm. you're going to have those moments. Like that's part of the journey as well. And I think like when we talk about it all, we just all feel more seen, you know, because we've all, we've all been there. (laughs) It definitely. There's there's also, I think, a degree of superstition with being a creative. Part of you thinks, well, that's how I wrote the last two books was breaking my back, writing till 4 a.m., what if that's my process? What if I can't break the magic? What if I can't have healthy habits because healthy habits don't get the book out of me? So you become a little bit superstitious about your processes. You start to wonder if, oh, maybe I have to treat myself terribly in order to get this book out of me. Maybe that's just the way my my brain works. It's probably not. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. You could probably give yourself a a, a solid go to bed at 11 p.m. and and you'll be fine and have have like a walk in the morning, have a healthy breakfast and then come to the computer screen. But no, part of us is like, but I was in a bad place last time I wrote a book. Maybe I have to replicate that. And it's the same as, you know, sports people wearing the same underwear from the last game that they won. It's gross. (laughs) Probably not doing anything. (laughs) But, but, But lest we break the habit, because maybe, you know, deep down inside of us, we're all a little bit afraid that there is something magical and intangible to this process. So we keep those bad habits because we do know there is a certain magic in being creative. So I don't know, maybe, maybe, but maybe sharing that somebody is sitting there thinking, I do that. I hunch over my computer screen and I refuse to get an ergonomic uh, chair or, or, or keyboard because this is how I wrote my last great short story in this terrible chair that's bad for my back. What if that's the secret? We all kind of do that. It's, it's okay to, yeah. to admit it. Mm. it is okay and I noticed for Melanie and I for the last few um drafts that we worked on we did something kind of similar we did like a draft race where we were battling each other over a month to see Mm -hmm. who could win who could get the most words in and that competitive spirit like led us and forced us to battle it out but we both ended up writing books in in a month for that yeah and so like that kind of thing I feel like sometimes maybe having a deadline yeah forces you to just like let go and just just write you know yeah it's you know it's called a deadline for a reason there is this assumption that if you don't get to it it's kind of like Bali in a game of tag right you got to get to home base you got to get to the deadline before it kills you um we, we, you know we put these these big pressures on ourselves and and that's essentially NaNoWriMo yeah they try to make it very yes. gentle and lovely but it's still like write another 50,000 words in one month and it's and it's still like you know somebody um however it, it's not real but it's still somebody like cracking a whip across your back and saying do it do it now 
because maybe that's what we need. We need that extra pressure. We need that sort of time cooker um, mm. the same way that kettle does. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Some of us are just a little bit, I'm certainly too scared to to break the habits in case that is indeed the thing that's keeping me grounded <laughs> to my creative work. You know? I love mm. to trick myself in those ways too. I think it's why I force myself to post about what I'm working on and like keep myself accountable to the community and like doing draft yeah. yeah, like once you have that accountability of like people are like, well, you said you were working on something. I'm like, well, yeah, I better be working on something. Yes, I am. So I definitely thrive in that kind of uh, like pressure. <laughs> I I can't remember who said it, but there is a famous writer who said that choosing to be a writer is like choosing to do homework for the rest of your life. That's essentially what we're doing. We're just replicating the school environment and giving ourselves arbitrary deadlines to finish our homework all the time. Amazingly, school kind of... Um, you know, beats that into you that you need to have parameters uh, mm. in order to be creative as well, like kind of boundaries around your creative process. We all think that we escaped school as authors and creatives, but really we're just dying to go back there and have somebody tell us that we're going to be in detention if we don't hand in that draft. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you if you are creative, you've actually chosen just to do homework for the rest of your life. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so true I haven't thought of it that way but it is it is true it is absolutely true I'm over here on a on a weeknight working on on schoolwork basically and I was dying to get out of school and here I am I'm back no you you, that that's all that you craved was just the boundaries of school again (laughs) but but you are now judge jury and executioner you are you are the teacher the principal and the unruly student you are all of those things encased in one and you're constantly berating one or the other so you know enjoy that everyone unpack that Freudian (laughs) uh maze by all means yeah yeah what does that say about us right that's hilarious well what okay but speaking of like school and life and working towards something what Mm -hmm. did you always want to be a literary agent, a writer? Like, how did you end up back here in this school place? No, I, the the one time, you know, in, in when you're in your final year of high school, you do one of those, your guidance counselor gives you like a test mm-hmm. and it gives, and it spouts out like a written test, not an online test. I'm an elder millennial. So a written test, like it tick the right. box and then they calculate for you what your career is going to be. I took that twist test twice and twice it told me to be a dance instructor. And I, I I cannot stress this enough. I have no rhythm. I, I have no rhythm. And even my guidance counselor, I remember, like, shook the book, like, something's, like a magic eight ball. He was like, something's gone wrong here. Because he was looking at me. He was like, I don't think this is accurate. So, no, I remember being in high school and, and pretty much the only thing I was good at that I really enjoyed was writing. I really enjoyed writing and reading. I remember entering a, a short story competition that my school had running for CBCA Book Week, which is like a a week-long celebration for kids about books and everything. And I entered that in school and I won. And I didn't tell my friends that I was doing it. And I was announced in assembly. And they all sort of looked at me like, what? You have untold depths, Danny. It's like, yeah, I know. I I enjoy writing. And I was also secretly from the ages of 15 until 22, I was secretly writing fan fiction, which none of my friends knew about. They've only discovered it as I've become an author myself and have spoken about that's where I got my start, was writing the West Wing once and again and Twilight fan fiction. Uh, yes. I was 
I was a complete like Josh and Donna West Wing nerdy kid who was like, I'm going to write some West Wing fan fiction as a 15 year old. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, dance instructor. That's totally me. That's I'm the cool. I'm like Jessica Elber and Honey. That's me. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. Yes. I'm, oh my god. So no, I I looked around for what careers can I do once I leave school that involve writing, and pretty much the only one that was proposed to me was well journalism. Go and be a journalist. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I, I didn't really overly have an appeal to that, but I really wanted to write in my career. And I was pretty much told journalism is it. Because what guidance counselor is going to say, yeah, try book publishing. Like mm-hmm. they don't even know that that's a real enterprise, yes. you know. So I, I went off and I studied communications at Monash University in Melbourne uh, with a mind to being a journalist, but I hated it. And I wasn't good at it, particularly my first year, I nearly bombed out, but I kind of got into the rhythm in my second year. But I was constantly told by my lecturers that I overwrote and I wrote purple prose and I didn't stick to who, what, when, where, why, which is a huge red flag. Like, obviously, I was crawling, (laughs) trying to get out of this constraints of writing. Mm -hmm. But I remember in, in the final year of university, we had to do a placement somewhere in publishing. And I didn't realize that they meant, you know, go and get a placement at your local newspaper, your, you know, your town gazette or whatever. I heard go and get a placement and I looked around and I found that there was a small publishing house in Melbourne that published kids books. So I, I was like, well, I like reading. I'm going to go and do that placement. So I did uh, and I loved it. And it was the first time I really realized, oh, there are people that make books. There are editors and cover designers and it's not just the author, but there's a publisher and there's a copy editor and there is a typesetter. And I just saw the ecosystem behind books and I asked somebody at the publisher, I was like, what do I do if I want to work here, be an editor or be a publicist or something to do with books? And they told me to go off and study at RMIT, which is where I now work in Melbourne, which was a course designed to help people who want to do the background work to publishing, being an editor, being a cover designer, all that kind of stuff. And I, I applied for that thinking I'd never get in because you had to also submit your own writing to get into that course because it was professional writing and editing. It was trying to be kind of all-encompassing conclu- um, all and this idea that if you were going to edit other people's work, they needed original work to edit as well. So it was kind of symbiotic. I had none of my own original writing to submit. So in order to get into the course, I submitted Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction yes, to get yes. into this course. <laughs> And I remember vividly sitting before the panel who brought me in to do a Q&A and I, and I remember having to explain to them that, no, I didn't write Buffy. A person called Joss Whedon created the character and I've done, I had to basically give them a crash course on what fan fiction was because they were out here thinking that I'd invented Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But once I explained it, they let me in and they let me do the course. And, and part of me thought, well, maybe I should start doing my own writing now. So I started doing short story writing. I was entering competitions just as I did back in high school with my own original work, no longer fan fiction. I, I dared not have said out loud that I wanted to be a writer, but I started to think maybe I could be. But I was doing that course so, to, as, so as to be an editor or a publicist and work behind the scenes in books. And I did do that when I graduated. I worked at really small publishing houses in Melbourne. Um, I was editing. I was freelance reviewing for various publications. And I was being very vocal in particular about reading and loving young adult literature from Australia, Mm. but loving it so much that I wanted to see it improve. 
And I, I was writing about, hey, there's not a lot of queer YA in Australia. There's not a lot of Indigenous YA in Australia. Where's all that stuff? And I was being quite vocal about that in various publications that were letting me write for them. <laughs> and, and I had my own blog where I was saying this stuff as well. And eventually one day I was tapped on the shoulder at a literary event in Melbourne and it was Jacinta. And she said, I've been reading your stuff online. You're very opinionated. And I said, oh, thank you. I am an opinionated woman online. Why, thank you. And she said, I think if you're this opinionated about what Aussie books should be doing, you should be an agent and you should be kind of like the, the middle person that helps usher these books into publishers and then onto bookshelves. So she kind of tested me for a few months. She had me reading her slush pile and giving feedback and giving structural edits. And eventually she said, I, I think we see eye to eye. We have very similar tastes. We want similar things for the industry and we're looking for similar types of books I think you should be an agent so she really gave me that lifeline wow. you know from from my very hodgepodge background and, and someone that was just a lover of stories and she kind of said I, I think you should bring your opinions from the online space into a tangible <laughs> have an effect on the industry space and that was 2016 and I've been doing it ever since and now I don't just rep YA and middle grade I do everything I do picture books graphic novels adult fiction adult non-fiction yeah, I do it all. And it was it was because I was a, a nerd <laughs> and it was because I was opinionated online and I was able to transport my hobby into a career because somebody believed in me and that somebody was Jacinta Demarze, who is the coolest person that I want to be when I grow up. Wow. <laughs> I so love cool. Like, honestly, you gave me chills. Like, I, I don't think you need any of the little, like, habits you have because you're full of magic. So wherever you go, you're <laughs> and. I have to just say what a legendary life moment getting into university by writing Buffy the Vampire fanfic. I think that needs to be in your bio because that is so epic. I I, I tell students that because um, I write YA, I go to high schools and they want to know about my writing journey. And I can see teachers and librarians are slightly horrified when I mention fan fiction <laughs> and that I, I, I literally say I wouldn't be a writer today had I not written fan fiction back then. And I can see the librarians and teachers being like, why is she doing this? But the kids <laughs> think it's so cool and geeky. And I, I do the worst thing ever. I say to them when I admit that I wrote fan fiction, I say to them, like, look at me, look at my age. What sort of fan fiction do you think I was writing for my time period? Like big books that were coming out when I was younger. They have said Lord of the Rings to my face. <laughs> and I'm like, do you mean original publication of Lord of the Rings? And they're like, yeah, the books. I'm like, oh. I'm like no. And then when I say Twilight, they they grill me even more. They're like, oh, because they've all watched Twilight ironically now or they've seen enough of bits and pieces of it on TikTok. They've got the idea. And I'm like, yes. hey, I will defend Twilight until my last breath. That was good. <laughs> well, you're on the right podcast because without fail, Twilight makes its way onto the podcast in some way. Angela is a yeah. diehard. I wish she had her DILF shirt on. She's got a Carlisle DILF shirt. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. I, I have to say, I mean, like I've, I've said it before, I, you know, I was a big like Jacob Edward when I was younger, but but now as I'm an adult and I'm looking, I'm thinking, you know, this guy's got a job. You know, he's a dependable, he's a dependable man. You know, he takes care of his family. You know, it's, 
win-win, you know? I'm like, I'm like Bella's dad, increasingly. Those jeans get nicer and nicer. I'm like, yeah, dude. Yeah, man. Keep, keep, keep the porn stash. That's working for you, buddy. Go for it. I see him now in other property, in other things. And the amount of leeway I give this man to watch some pretty questionable television that he's in, because I'm like, it's Bella's dad. Show some damn respect. Um, I will yes. follow him pretty much anywhere. And, like, I haven't even seen the Batman that Robert Pattinson was in because I'm like, oh, Rob, baby, I can't. <laughs> but but Bella's dad, I'll follow that guy to any rabbit hole of a television show oh, because it's Bella's dad and he's fine. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. Totally. Yeah, keep that keep that stash growing. You know, keep yeah. that stash on. It is it's working. It's working. And, 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 and I am slightly horrified, but also very happy for them that, like, Taylor Latt now is, like, a father now. As is, like, Daniel Radcliffe, like, Harry Potter is, is having a kid. And I'm like, oh, my, I remember when Daniel Radcliffe was in The Woman in Black playing a father with a kid. And I was like, no, 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 no. He's still, he's still 20 or he's still 18. What are you talking about? And now they're having kids themselves. And it's a real existential crisis. Happy for them. But it's made me confront my own mortality. And I am mortified so happy for them but you're making me lose my mind happy for them (laughs) oh my gosh yes we have found a kindred spirit here and I just have to say Mm -hmm. like the power of fanfic because I've met so many authors that were Mm -hmm. like yeah I used to you know I would just write whatever in high school and it it was a, a secret project and and the amount of of those mm-hmm. like teenagers that have grown up and become authors is yeah. you know, staggering and it's wonderful and beautiful. And um, so here for the fanfic, we are all the Buffy fanfic. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a really big defender of fanfic because, okay. So for starters, I didn't learn to be an agent. I didn't go to the big fancy school, Melbourne university, learning to be an agent. Um, I did like the hard yards kind of, I'm going to be a working journalist. I'm going to do professional writing, editing and work behind the scenes and be like a diligent worker. I didn't like learn to be, and I racked up so many uni fees, but I didn't study to be an agent because I didn't think that that was a pathway for me. I, I really thought that was way outside my bounds. And I see fanfic in the same way that it is a way to access story writing when you maybe can't afford to do an education and get a degree in writing. Fan fiction Mm. is a great teacher, the same way that reading is the best teacher there is for writing. So I always say fan fiction kind of democratizes the ability to write and to get practice Mm. at writing. So I'm not at all surprised when I hear that like Marissa Meyer that wrote the Cinder series started out writing Sailor Moon fan fiction. Like that was her teacher. She didn't have to pay a whole lot of money to a university and I say this as someone who teaches creative writing at a university now but you don't have to do that in order to learn to be a writer fan fiction is a really great teacher and it's a really great leveler so that anyone despite their background can come to writing and learn and be taught and get some harsh feedback and criticism from the community but that is also like a really great pathway to learning what an edit is and learning to take feedback and learning to develop a thick skin as a creative so I I fully endorse fan fiction writing as a legitimate form Form of mimicry which is a really important part of figuring out your voice uh, mm. and just figuring out the themes and the topics that you're continually drawn to as a fan fiction writer will start to come out a little bit in your own writing I mean I think it's I, I will always go to the mats for fan fiction 100% yes. I love that so much 
tell, can you tell us a little bit about what would, so we know you love like a bit of fantasy. Can you tell us what would excite you to see? Like, what do you love to represent? What are you looking for? Gosh, it's so hard. I, I never know what I'm looking for. And I do try when I'm open for submissions and I will be later this year for Australians. I don't ever, try and say I'm looking for fantasy or sci-fi I try and go by readership so I'm looking for YA or middle grade um or or I go for form like I'm looking for non-fiction YA or non-fiction middle grade or fiction and and that sort of stuff because I never know what I'm looking for I'm I'm a very mood reader and Mm -hmm. I don't quite know what I'm in the mood for until I've picked up and put down about 20 books and read the first few pages and gone no I'm not quite in the mood for that uh, so I'm 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 very responsive to everything and anything. And the one thing that gets me that is the hardest thing to tell emerging writers is I do look for voice, mm. and voice is hard. Yeah. Um, voice is the entirety of the manuscript. It, yes, it is the character that you've chosen and the point in time that we're meeting them, but mm. it's also at a language level. It's the syntax. It's the line edit. It's it's everything. It's it's hard to describe, but you know when it doesn't work for you. And that's the hardest feedback to give when you say, oh, the voice isn't quite right. And that can be a personal thing. I'm just not gelling with this person. Mm. Or maybe it's that you're writing YA, but the person sounds younger or older. So you haven't quite got the teenage voice right. You know, maybe they sound like teenagers from the decade when you were a teenager and you're like, that's already past us. You know, that's already not happening anymore. So voice, it's it's really tricky. And honestly, a structural edit, the actual plot, you can improve upon and work on. But how many books do you read where you finish it and you think, gosh, I love that? And then someone asks you, cool, what was it about? And you say, stuff. <laughs> yeah, stuff every time. Happened. And, every time. But you're you're always like, but there's character. And and it's comes it's sometimes vibes. That's the voice, mm-hmm. is vibes. And, you know, so the plot is one thing. The plot is the stuff that happens. Story, though, and voice is how it made you feel. And that is tough. That's a tough one to articulate. Example A, it's a hard one to replicate. Uh, And it's why I think authors spend so much time figuring out what their voice is, which can be the question of, am I writing in the right readership? Does it sound like me? Am I writing in the right genre? Do I sound like I fit in this genre? What what am I gravitating towards? It's so hard. And I, you know, Miles Davis, the uh, the musician, said, man, it takes you a long time to sound like yourself. Ooh. And that's so true. I know. That's, that's so true. And, like, you know, if you start breaking it down in other mediums, when you say, well, what makes a, a Picasso a Picasso? What makes a Taylor Swift song a Taylor Swift song? And even if somebody's doing a cover of it, you can still tell it's a Taylor Swift song. Like, you know, we're talking about quite literally her voice, but it's more than that. What makes a Taylor Swift song is a great bridge. It's probably going to be a very emotional, almost like a diary entry style uh, story. It's a lot of factors. Uh, So, yeah, voice is really tricky, but it's the first thing that draws me in. And, And we can have a rubbish plot that has so many holes in it and needs so much structural editing. But if I love the voice and the voice can be the voice of the character or a narrator, uh, you know, you think of something like Marcus Dusak's The Book Thief. What makes that is the narration of death. Death is our narrator. So death is our voice. That's what really makes it. So, you know, voice is everything and it's hard to get right. And you've just got to 
try and fail a bunch of times and man it takes you a long time to sound like yourself and I think that's true in life as well and it's probably why some people who are uh, struggling with their voice maybe you don't know yourself enough just yet maybe you've got to Mm. sit with yourself I did see uh, a fellow American teacher of writing somewhere on Twitter uh, said so of course I'm going to quote Twitter I'm so sorry Uh, they (laughs) said in their experience being a, a teacher of writing they've said the the two things that stop people from writing are one of these it's either you don't yet know what you want to say or you do know what you want to say and you're too afraid to say it mm-hmm. and that's the two things that are constantly blocking writers Girl, so I think that's dropping, true you're just dropping these truth quote bombs everywhere <laughs> for it mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what like those issues can plague you at any point in your career. You could be five books into a career and you have a book of your heart that you really want to write, but maybe it's a departure from your usual, or maybe it's you finally telling the story of your family and you're terrified to tell it. So you could have these issues at any point in time. It's not just debut authors, but I think she had that categorized really well of either you don't yet know what you want to say, which can be anything from I don't know what my genre is, I don't know what my voice is, I don't know what my readership is, I don't really know if I have a theme I want to write to, if I have my own ideas about how the world works enough to write them down, or you do know those things and it's terrifying you. And that happens too. So, yeah, that's I think that's pretty accurate. You're probably falling into one of those two camps at any point in your career. 100%. Man. I need I need a second to recover because that <laughs> is good. <laughs> and it just it feels like a life lesson even of just like it finding yourself and you're not gonna be like fully free and comfortable yeah. in your own skin until you know your why and your reason yeah. and all of that. And it it and it carries, it translates into story. Yeah. And um and man, that was that was really powerful. <laughs> You're welcome. Now imagine being sitting in a class with me as I eyeball you saying that. And I know because I'm reading everyone's work who's got what problem. And I'm like, come and see me after class. No, <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> I love I'm it. intimidated. I know. No. <laughs> Do you say you read someone's manuscript, they've queried mm-hmm. you when you're mm-hmm. open and you fall for this thing. Actually, let me re- let me go back a mm-hmm. second. How mm-hmm. how is it different in an Australian publishing world compared mm-hmm. to the the states world because, you know, what I know yeah. is you write the damn book, then you <laughs> query the book, right? You yeah. get the agent, we go on submission hopefully yeah. sell the book like is that is it the same situation in Australia not quite uh, the number one rule in America is you absolutely need an agent in order to sell a book because there are there are so many publishers that have so many imprints and that's the conglomerates that's the the big publishers have so many imprints and so many people working under them then you have all the independent publishers of various sizes Um, small to medium to large independent publishers, there's no way that they could open their floodgates and have unsolicited manuscripts coming in. That would be their full-time job and they wouldn't be able to edit and actually publish books. So in America, they very much rely on agents to be the quality control. So the first point of call when you want to be published in America is you need an agent. Absolutely, America is similar to Australia in that they no doubt have imprints that are um, kind of hyper-commercial imprints and the people's job would be to watch TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and look for people that they can pitch ideas to. And that would be the same in America, particularly for like celebrities. 
anyone that like a celebrity that's really blowing up that they want to say to them, do you have a memoir in you? You don't necessarily need an agent for that. You can just have a talent agent and a publisher can approach you and say, I think that you've got a book in you. Let's do this. You've got like 5 million followers. Let's capitalize. So those people are fine, but everyone else, the other 99% of the population need an agent because American publishing is so huge. They rely on agents for that quality control. Otherwise they would spend all of their time just constantly getting submissions. Mm. Um, In Australia, we have a bit more access to our publishers. So most of our major publishers will have time periods where they are open to submissions that aren't solicited and they'll have Mm. portals that you can submit to. The only publisher that I know that does that um, consistently in America is like Mills and Boone and Harlequin where they very much tap into their reader population to segue into becoming writers themselves and they're constantly open for submissions because that's just – and because they're publishing – what, like 20 novels a day potentially, like not just physical books but um, ebook only, they have a huge turnover. So they're constantly open for submissions and they have entire, you know, offices who are dedicated to just reading submissions because that's how they find their writers ultimately. But, no, it's different in Australia where we have, you know, HarperCollins, Ellen and Unwin, Penguin, they all have periods where they're open for submission from just regular people who don't have agents and that's great. Um, We also have a lot of unpublished manuscript prizes, which the major publishers um, run, where they are open specifically for competition time. And if you win the competition of an unpublished manuscript prize, the prize money doubles as the acquisition money um, if you're successful. Oh, okay. So all of our major publishers pretty much do those and quite a few of the indies do them as well. And that's proven Um, very successful for them but then we have agents and we only have a small number of agents in Australia I mean I'm on the um, Australian Literary Agents Association I'm their vice president at the moment so I can tell you we have on that official board about 20 to 30 agents there are a few others who haven't joined our ranks yet but we have you know compared to America who has hundreds of agents and agencies of various sizes Australia only has you know 20 to 30 in ALA uh, on the organisation front and probably all up, you know, under 100 easily. So we have a much smaller population, a much smaller population. Uh, And those agencies are a combination of uh, internationals like Curtis Brown, who have offices in London, New York and Sydney. And they're like mine, boutique agents who only represent Australian, New Zealand creators um, and who are very focused on our market. Uh, so yeah, it's a much smaller scene. You can get away with not having an agent in Australia because we also have lots of organizations here who do things like checking contract work for our authors and creators. So if you do get an offer because you've gone an unsolicited route, you can still make sure that you're getting the best possible deal from a publisher, but it's very different in America because you are bigger. You are so much bigger. And it blew my mind when I was there in August, September last year with the Australia Council, I was going there to meet American publishers. And I remember sitting in front of the lovely publisher at Berkeley, Penguin Random House, who was Emily Henry's publisher, Emily Henry of Book Lovers. Uh, And I said to her, so how many books does Berkeley, the imprint at Penguin, publish? And she said 350 a year. And we're looking to expand. (laughs) So that was one imprint at one publisher, publishes 350 books a year, and they were looking to publish more. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. We have some independent publishers in Australia who wouldn't publish that many books a year. Wow. Um, so that was, you know, I was like, well, no wonder you have to have agents because, you know, that's that's huge. 
that's yeah huge. like you said the floodgates would literally just it's all they would do it, yeah all they would do yeah and and you can't work that way it is literally that could be their full-time job would be reading submissions and then you'd get no new emily henry books you'd get no new any books because they would just be spending all their time and manpower on reading open submissions so yeah that's why they have agents in america um, and, and it means that you have agents who are hyper-specific and hyper-focused in certain genres and readerships. Like you have some agents who only represent cookbook writers. Mm, you yeah. have some agents who only represent crime writers. And then you can have hyper-specific, like true crime writers. We don't really do that in Australia. We have agents who certainly have specialties, but mm. on the whole, we represent everything. You know, we, wow. we don't really have hyper-specific agents who only focus on one genre or one readership. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, very cool to hear. Well, mm. I see our time has evaporated having you on. Like, <laughs> I don't know where the time went, but we'll have to have you on again one day. But I yeah. just before the time ticks away, did you have a yeah. favorite quote you want to share? We just love hearing our you've dropped a few gold ones, so I had to ask oh. <laughs> one that you just like that really moves you. This is one that I read out to my students when I teach first years at RMIT. I, I read this out to them because I heard it. And I instantly clicked and thought, oh, this is the quote of my heart that I had to learn the lesson the hard way. But if I'd heard this quote, I would have possibly been reassured in my quest to find the thing that I most want to write, the book of my heart. Uh, So it's a quote from Ira Glass, who is the great American This American Life podcaster, who has a voice like velvet. It's Alan Rickman and Ira Glass, their voices. Perfect. (laughs) So Ira Glass has this quote. It's a little bit long, but I'll, I promise you I'll oh. do inflection and I'll make it interesting. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Nobody tells this to people who are beginners and I wish someone told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there is this gap. For the first couple of years, you make stuff. It's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game is still killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting creative work went through years of this. We know our work doesn't have this special thing that we want it to have. We all go through this. And if you are just starting out or you are still in this phase, you've got to know it's normal. And the most important thing you can do is a lot of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week you will finish one story. It is only by going through a volume of work that you will close that gap and your work will be as good as your ambitions. And I took longer to figure out than anyone I've ever met because it's going to take a while. It's normal to take a while. You've just got to fight your way through. You yes, Ira Glass. Right? Because your favourite quote is one oh. of mine, actually. And it's one that, like, kept me writing at one point because yeah. I was just, you feel that gap, you know. If you have any taste, you you mm-hmm. better feel that gap. <laughs> and it is, it's, like, yeah. overwhelming at times. And, yeah, I remember yeah. finding that quote and, like, really holding on to it at one point. So, Having it read to me just then felt very emotional. <laughs> so thank very you. Very full yeah. And you know what? It's a nice reminder that if you're practicing writing by writing fan fiction, if you're practicing writing not by going to university but by reading a lot, just know what you're also doing is improving your taste. 
you're starting to hear what you like, what you don't like. You're starting to realize that's not good enough. I can do better. This stuff is really important. And that's the stuff that no amount of a university education and money thrown at it is going to teach you. Taste, taste can't be taught. Mm. Really, really, it can't be taught. So uh, if you're worried because you don't have the money and and the safety net that it takes to be a writer, and I completely feel that, it's very unfair that there's a socioeconomic barrier to being a creative self. Mm-hmm. Just know that you can do things like writing fan fiction, like reading a whole bunch, and just improving your taste bit by bit by bit so that your ambition eventually matches up with your talents. And it will happen eventually, and you'll be shocked that you ever doubted yourself. But doubt is part of the process. Doubt is how you know that this means something to you. So don't discount the doubt. The doubt is that important inner voice that is your inner critic that is a little bit of a taste maker, uh, but eventually your inner critic will get quieter and quieter and quieter and your creative self will get louder and louder and louder. And that's, you know, that feels really good. I promise you it feels really good. It'll it'll click one day. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just, just keep teaching. Whatever you have to say, just keep going. I mean, my gosh thank you for having me this has been wonderful thank you for having me i'll come back anytime you want me i'll come back so thank you okay good well it's official (laughs) you're now you're now the third co-host because that's amazing yay well definitely i made I may not have been a dance instructor like my guidance counselor always thought, but I could be a podcast host. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't even a career when I was growing up. So there you go. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. Uh, thank you to the listeners. I'll leave you to it. But thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thanks, Danielle. Thank Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Happy Easter. Bye. Bye.